Hello, vaqueros. The first thought going through your mind right now might be, well, I can hear you, but where's the slideshow? I decided to do things a bit differently this week and add a new format to our course, which includes this podcast. We'll see how things go, but I really wanted to add more information about this week's topic and thought I would try to do it in a way that would be convenient for you. Also, I recommend listening to this podcast in its entirety because I will give a very specific answer to one of the quiz questions this week. Did that get your attention? Good. Welcome to this week's podcast on diagnosing substance use disorders. Let's start off with a section of the textbook in this week's assigned readings. There's not an entire chapter dedicated to diagnosing, but there is a section in chapter 2 over ethical concerns related to diagnosing. You should read the section on your own, and in no way should this podcast replace your own reading. Let me begin by saying in the 16 years I've been working as a substance use counselor, I have never heard these terms, but I have been made aware of the practice. The first term is the checkbook diagnosis. Now, according to the textbook, This occurs when the counselors at treatment programs have difficulty admitting clients because they may not meet the criteria or are easier to admit for another disorder. This practice is highly unethical, though I have seen it happen many, many times, especially in private for-profit programs. No disrespect to them. In fact, shout out to anyone working in any type of treatment center, for-profit or non-profit. We're all in it for the same reason. But often I have seen counselors or supervisors identify an incorrect diagnosis just to have the client admitted. And of course, it's all related to money and revenue. If you ever get placed in this possession, my advice to you is to remember you have your own license and the licensing board which you are responsible to and your client also for that matter. So no one job is worth losing your license or your career over making a fraudulent diagnosis. I've been in meetings and programs where I've been called in because I did not admit a certain number of clients because I determined they did not have a severe enough diagnosis. It gets scary, especially when the managers and supervisors say things like, we'll have to shut down if we don't get enough clients. But that's simply not your responsibility and often a sign of poor management. The next point I wanted to discuss was the term on page 36. But since you've been listening for this long, I'll go ahead and reward you by giving you the much promised answer to one of the quiz questions. Diagnostic slamming. Yes, that is a term used in the textbook, but no, I've never heard that in real life. But the practice is certainly done and is meant to make the client appear more severe, especially at time of discharge, than what they truly are. Whenever a client begins a program and some type of funding is involved, they will usually ask what the projected timeline will be. Some counselors will exaggerate the need for ongoing treatment in order to keep the client and exhaust the funding. That's usually done by stating there exists many symptoms of the disorder and the client is not ready to be discharged from the program yet, which is called justification for continued services. 
Remember that term also. Now there are times when the clients do continue to have difficulty in treatment, are not progressing, and need to receive treatment longer than originally thought, and that's fine, so long as you can clinically justify the reason why they are willing to put, why you are willing to put your license online for it. That leads me to the next and final point about diagnosing, which is this. Always err on the safe side. In other words, if it gets too difficult to determine whether a client exactly meets the symptoms of a disorder, you should not try to fit them in. For example, go find the copy of the criteria and look at number six, which relates to the client having recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused by the substance. You could assume that perhaps the client is having problems in his or her relationships, but if the client says, no, they are not, then you cannot match them with that criteria. You have to be absolutely certain, without a doubt, that the client matches that criteria during diagnosing. Think of it like a courtroom. You have to be 100% convinced that they match a symptom. And you cannot just go based on a feeling. And you may think, but they won't tell the truth, or they're trying to get out of the treatment. And you might be right. That becomes the hardest part during the treatment process, allowing a client to avoid treatment if they want to. But remember, if an insurance company or some other funder asks for you to justify why they met the diagnosis, you have to be absolutely certain. And if you cannot match them to enough criteria, you do not include a substance use diagnosis. These are just a few additional points about the lesson I wanted to provide you with. Now go on and get the rest of the work done this week.